Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. We are looking for your support. The Tortoise Shack relies on you listeners because we have no ads, we have no sponsors. We are purely member-led and member-driven. So if you can, click that link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It's at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. Have a look around and see if there's a level that suits your budget that helps us keep these conversations going, mics on and bills paid. You can try it for a month. There's no long-term contract. You don't have to stick around, but there's tons of extras, including access to our entire back catalogue, all our podcasts in one consolidated feed, and you don't have to listen to me beg. So that's an incentive in itself. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. And today's podcast is a recording of the live uh, uplift meeting in Galway West, which was a constituency meeting organized to on the issue of the eviction ban um, to get it reinstated. And it was a really interesting discussion. Um, we had Saoirse McHugh, who was uh, facilitating uh, the event. I gave an introduction on kind of the housing crisis, where it's at now, and the reasons around the eviction ban. And then we hear from uh, people who are directly experiencing evictions and others um, asking questions and concerned about it and wanting to get organized a campaign. And also what you can do around sending um, emails to TDs to highlight that this is an issue of concern. Um, I've been contacted and, and we're reading and hearing about people who are being evicted, uh, who are losing their homes, and it really is unacceptable. And the government needs to reinstate the eviction ban and feel the pressure on this. And so this is an important um a meeting and also there will be more coming up uh, being organized by Uplift around the co- country can constituencies around the country so you can check it out um, I'll also be speaking at the Fela housing event which um, is in Ennis this weekend this Saturday at 4 o'clock um, in the Offspring Garden Cafe in Ennis so looking forward to heading west again I spoke at the Galway event of the Fela housing um, and it was really fantastic artists, musicians um, and people interested and affected coming together to talk about and having a conversation about housing. And as Aoife Welby, the, uh, one of the organisers, says, you know, putting the heart back into home. And this is so important that um, we continue to bring people together around this, to hear their voices, to um, change how it is and not, ac- not accept it in a week where we see Really, you know, the the housing situation, teachers, um, you know, being unable to afford rent to find housing, um, the nursing situation similarly, uh, key workers across the sector and the tech sector and childcare, people unable to afford um, homes, access housing and not being able to take up work. And of course, also then... Um, you know, people being forced to emigrate from this country. And of course, the, the irony, the deep, sad irony, tragic irony that, you know, in a week when um the US president came and visited, but whose, you know, 
distant relatives had um, left the country because of emigration. And here we are back again. Um, and there was a really big response to our podcast with Dara uh, McGarrett, who is uh, a teacher who emigrated to Australia um, and discussed his situation. And, and he said to me um, that, you know, it's been interesting how people have contacted him since and said, you know, that's what they were experiencing and feeling as well. And I thought that was quite um, important in it showing that, you know, these podcasts are actually really impacting on conversations and bringing uh, conversations and issues and impacts to light that need to be brought to light and giving people a sense that they don't have to just accept this. But also it's important to talk about the consequences. What is going on here uh, is a social catastrophe and it is unlike anything else being experienced um, in Europe at the moment. And I'm presenting to the International Union of Tenants uh, in Lisbon, this week as well um, and in the next podcast I will go through sort of what I'm talking about there but also the experience of, of around the world but what really struck me in doing the research for the conference was that we really have experienced the worst housing crisis um, in Europe in terms of the collapse in home ownership in terms of the rise in rents um, they're just like nothing else has been experienced and, and the questions of course is why and how and what can be done about it. And it does go back to, um, contrary to what Michal Martin was claiming in his interview with the on the Talking Bollocks uh, podcast, that um, it's you know, the cause of the crisis. He immediately well, he was asked by the lads uh, what was the cause of the housing crisis, and Michal Martin immediately said um, the it was population growth. And I was just going, no, it wasn't population growth. It was years of Fianna Fáil housing policy which handed housing over to the market which stopped building social housing which turned to the private rental sector to access social housing um, and also then um, commodified housing through the boom and financialized housing, housing telling everyone to buy multiple properties letting the banks rip letting the developers rip um, and having no controls and, and no recognition and no a sense uh, that um, you know they were creating a crisis that would have decades long impacts and even generational impacts and then of course when um, the, after the crash austerity was implemented and these policies then also uh, decimated social housing and they really just abandoned social housing over the last 12 years and they're only turning back to it now and um, and, of course, on top of that, we have the bringing in of real estate investors, the continuing, you know, failure to control rents in any meaningful way. Um, and so the crisis isn't resulting from population growth. The crisis is resulting from failed uh, government policies over decades. Um, so I think we really need to correct that narrative. And, yeah, so listen, we need to keep going. And thank you for all the messages. So many people are contacting me um, about you know, the work that I'm doing and others are doing and highlighting on this. And I do feel that we are um, in the midst of, and I know, and you know, we are in the midst of, of an unprecedented social catastrophe, an economic one too. Um, but within this, we have to continue to show the damage that's being, that's being done to people 
um, and point to the alternatives and what needs to be done. Um, and I do think that we will come out of this um, with a, a changed housing system and one that ensures everyone has a home. At what point that is, I don't know, but that's what we're going to push for and keep going till we get it. So listen, hope you find this really interesting. I found it a really interesting event and really important and particularly uh, Joanne's testimony is, is really, really harrowing and so important that we hear this and the experience and the reality um, of people facing eviction and where where are they going to go. Um, and as a Martin Lee, he sings in his song, um, everybody should have a home. And of course, as we say, a housing is a basic human right. So, And over now to Sersha and Uplift. So welcome to our speaker, Dr. Rory Hearn. I'm sure you're all familiar with him. Lecturer in Social Policy in Maynooth University, author of Gaps, Why No One Can Get a House and What We Can Do About It, and the host of Reboot Republic podcast and quite a prolific campaigner on housing policy in Ireland. Um, and unfortunately, we were hoping to be able to welcome uh, the Galway West TDs. Uh, I think very conveniently, Joe Biden is addressing the doll, so it was a, a handy excuse for a few people just to kind of remind everyone. There are five TVs in Galway West. We have Catherine Connolly, independent, voted to keep the eviction ban. Uh, Ray Farrell, Sinn Féin, voted to keep the eviction ban. Hildegard Nocton, Fine Gael, voted to scrap it. Eamon O'Quive, Fianna Fáil, voted to scrap it. And independent XPD, Noel Grealish, didn't show up to vote at all. Um, so the format for this evening's meeting will be a few more minutes of me, and then that'll be it. Uh, then Rory Hearn will speak for about 12 minutes on the state of Irish housing and most importantly, what can and should be done about it both immediately and into the long term. Uh, once again, at any stage, just throw your thoughts, comments, questions into the chat and we will get to them. Um, and then we're going to hear from a few people about their own housing situation in Galway, their own experiences um, and the kind of the effect it has on their lives or the effect they see it having on their communities. And then EFAB from Fela Housing is going to give a short introduction into Fela Housing, what they do, how to get involved. Um, and then for about 10 minutes, we're going to open the floor to everyone and you can put it, your questions, comments, you can share your story if you like. And then before we go, we're going to um, do an action together. We're going to email the local TDs that should be here. Um, and we've it all set up already, so it'll guide you through it. Um, basically, telling them that they should have been here and that housing is a priority for you, their voters. And then hopefully we'll be finished and wrapped up by eight. Um, so to begin, I suppose we might do a few polls, a few questions in a poll, just to get a sense of the situation in Galway West. Um, so the first one, are you facing imminent eviction or have you already been served an eviction notice? see okay no okay that's interesting so uh yes is one person so five percent people oh no more five percent of people on the call and no 95 percent are not facing imminent eviction yet which is good i think um the next question and that one are you considering leaving the country due to the housing crisis that's a lot more varied. 
So that one, as you can see, is 30% would consider yes, 50% no, 20% maybe. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. And then the last question. Yeah, would housing influence what politician you would vote for in the future? Yes. 100% yes. It looks like Yeah, 100% yes. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're quite interesting. It gives quite a, a spread because even though there's not a huge amount of people on the call um, facing imminent eviction, it still is a really um, potent political issue. Um, so, conscious of the time, I will pass you on to Rory and he will do his thing. Thank you. Thanks, Sersha. Um, Hello, everyone. Um, it's great to have this uh, meeting, town hall meeting, the first of which uh, I hope we're going to be, there's going to be quite a few around the country. Um, I think it's really, really important that these meetings are held um, and because for a number of reasons, I think that the eviction ban, um, the lifting of the eviction ban was and is one of the, I think, most shameful decisions um, an Irish government has ever made. And in some respects, people might say, well, why is that the case? You know, it was quite complex at some level to have to decide. But I think when you pair it back, um, the rationale for the government argument about lifting the ban was based on essentially three reasons. The first was that um, they had to lift it at some point and therefore they essentially needed to do it now. Um, and that first argument actually doesn't make any logical sense because if they had to do it at some point, why not do it in a year's time or two years time um, when people would be hopefully able to find somewhere or we'd be in a situation where the, the so-called mitigation measures would be in place. And then we go to the other reason, which is really the main reason they lifted it, was the argument that leaving the eviction ban in place was leading to more and more landlords selling up and leaving and also deterring more landlords from investing. Now, if you actually think about that argument, there's a lot of holes in it and fundamentally it's flawed because essentially what they're saying is we are going to not put in place protections for tenants so that property remains sufficiently attractive investment for landlords and that we're going to allow thousands and indeed tens of thousands of individuals and people be evicted from their home and every renter live in a state of insecurity to try and entice more landlords in um, and keep landlords in the market. And another hole in that argument is the assumption is that, well, the reason landlords are leaving is because of these as they call them, you know, greater tenant protections. But that's not the reason that uh, many landlords are leaving. Many landlords are leaving because they're reaching the age where they want to retire from having a property. They want their pension, as they say. But also, they know house prices have hit their peak and are now falling. And that is going to only happen more in terms of um, the existing housing market. So house prices are falling and they want to sell um, and get their investment back. And that is the main reason that they're leaving. They're also leaving because there's a tax benefit that some of them got that um, in terms of capital gains tax. So this idea that they're leaving because of increased tenants' rights is is a narrative 
um, that I've argued has actually been portrayed and put across by this small group of what we call the landlord lobby, which is the Irish Property Association, who are making and using this situation right now to try and essentially argue that landlords should get tax breaks, that they should um, be able to continue to be able to evict a tenant at any point, and they should be also be able to um, to um, essentially increase rents to the market rent. That is the argument, that the rent caps in place are stopping some landlords from being able to charge the market rent. So we have to understand what's going on here. The final argument they made was that the Attorney General said, uh, and they've never published this advice, that they couldn't extend the eviction ban because it essentially contravenes the constitutional protection of the right to private property of landlords. Now, we know that the previous eviction ban during COVID was done on a time-limited basis, um, and that is because the right of private property in the Constitution is actually can be limited, and this, the Constitution specifically says this, in the interests of both the principles of social justice and in the principles of the common good. So private property rights can be limited. Um, so I think what essentially what I'm showing is that their arguments really don't hold water. And essentially what they did was they bent to the landlord lobby, I would argue. Um, and they really didn't consider and didn't value what the human impact this was going to be um, on tenants. And that is really, really worrying and really shameful. Um, and I think that the importance of tonight and the campaigning is to call for the reinstate, reinstating of that eviction ban. Um, I think that needs to be a very loud and clear call that that eviction ban needs to be put in place again for a period of two to three years because what is ahead of us in terms of evictions is an absolute tsunami of trauma. Um, we are going to see tens of thousands of people evicted from their homes. As I made the analysis, if we look back in terms of compare this, um, and uh, Saoirse mentioned Joe Biden been here, whose relatives left during the famine times. If we look back at the famine times, the average number of evictions of people evicted, families evicted from their homes during the famine, the darkest years uh, of 1849 to 1856, um, was uh, over 8,000. Last year, there was 11,000 notices to quits issued. So we're talking about the highest point, highest number of evictions um, in, the, in the history of our country, higher than what the famine was, which is really just incredible. Um, and when you even look back at their argument, and essentially they're saying, well, we're reliant on private landlords, but we don't need to be reliant on private landlords. We don't need more private landlords. What we need is people to be able to buy their home affordably and people to be able to rent affordably and people able to have access to social housing um, and affordable rental. And bringing more private landlords doesn't achieve that. What achieves that is building social housing on a massive scale, the state itself building affordable housing that people can buy. It means controlling rents. Um, because when we look at the market rents now of, you know, the average rent nationally is 1,400 a month. Um, the average rent in Dublin is over 2,200 a month. This is of new rental properties, new rents of new tenancies or new properties. They are completely unaffordable to most people, absolutely unaffordable. And the government has still yet to control new market rents. But in Sweden, for example, you can, the market doesn't set the rent. The rent is agreed 
um, at national level and local level and set according to property size, property standards. So it's not just landlords get to decide whatever the rent is. And I make this point in the in the journal article that I wrote uh, on the weekend that in most European countries, the ability landlords can't just evict a tenant if they're selling the property. It's just not allowed because they have proper tenant protections and tenants rights. And in a number of countries, in Belgium, in Finland, in France, um, in Germany, that if the tenant is facing any sort of hardship, if they are uh, experiencing illness, if they are of older age, if they're pregnant, if there is a disability in the household, and they can't be evicted. But another reason they can't be evicted is if they can't find anywhere that's suitable or affordable in their range, in their price range. So if we had those laws that protected tenants here, we wouldn't have this scale of eviction. So a key part of the solution is to get rid of the what we call no-fault evictions and to have proper tenants' rights. But what the government is arguing is, oh, we can't do that because that will just deter more landlords coming in. And it's like this circular argument that you can never uh, get more tenants' rights or tenants' protections or affordable rent because that would just deter more landlords coming in. And you go, well, why are we doing that? Why are we making ourselves so dependent on private landlords? Why doesn't the state just provide housing and enough housing? And we did it before. And then people say, oh, well, you can't do that. And where would the state get the money from? And and we go, well, we've put four billion in a rainy day fund. You know, that four billion would build 20,000 homes a year on a rolling basis um, if you were selling them as affordable housing. And, you know, the state should set up a public construction company so we wouldn't be reliant on private developers. So it would be able to hire the construction trades, give people proper employment construction trades. And I think that would be a key solution as well. Tackling the vacancy and dereliction is another um, key solution. The issue of vacancy and dereliction, we can see the buildings across the country and um, in terms of vacancy, dereliction, tackling, banning Airbnb and properties that aren't your primary residence. Um, and looking at the, for example, the tenant in situ scheme, which is a real potential you know, solution, but the government hasn't it set up properly yet. Um, it's too slow. And I think just like we saw in the um, emergency uh, response to COVID, we should be seeing emergency responses like a national coordination of the tenant purchase in situ, in situ scheme and that would ensure nobody is evicted into homelessness and that has to be the starting principle no one should be evicted out of their home if they don't have somewhere else to go to um, and there's no reason why the government shouldn't put in place that policy I think that the, the reason the government I think got this completely wrong I think they completely uh, misread what the public reaction was going to be the public reaction was huge um, and overwhelmingly against the lifting of the eviction ban, even though um, the, they tried to portray an opinion poll showed that 46% of people were for uh, keeping the ban in place. Only 36% said it should be lifted and the others didn't know. That, if that was a referendum, it would be a clear majority voting in favour of something. But yes, that opinion poll wasn't used and said, oh, this is a clear demonstration a majority of Irish people uh, are in favour of keeping the eviction ban. Um, but it is very clear, I think, that this eviction ban has become what in a way was the water charges 
um, during austerity, that it has become the thing that people have said, this is too far, uh, you've gone too far, this is not okay, we're not accepting this. Whether we're directly affected by it or we're not, we are standing in solidarity together. Um, and I think the key as we go forward is that the people who are affected um, do stay in their homes, that they aren't evicted, that they are supported to stay in their home and that they are supported as Uplifter doing um, and as I've done in my podcast and other places that they are supported to tell their story and tell their experience, that they aren't silenced, they aren't forced into hidden homelessness um, and that we show they do matter and we get this um, eviction ban reinstated and the other solutions that I outlined there. So I'll leave it there. Thanks, Sersha. Thanks, Lindy Rory. Uh, that was great. A lot of solutions are very obvious. Um, and I'm sure everyone has a lot of questions, but I think we're going to go to the other three speakers first and then we'll get back to the questions. Um, so very kindly, um, Joanne has agreed to um, speak and share her experiences of housing in Galway. Um, so Joanne, off you go. You have three or four minutes. Thanks, Irsha. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, great to be here. And thanks, Rory. I'm I'm sure like many people, very, very disappointed that TDs are not here this evening. Um, so I have been renting where I currently am for the last eight years. And last June, my landlord told me that they were selling up. So I, I am the one person on here who is facing an eviction notice. Um, I have wonderful, exceptional uh, landlord and landlady who've, who've kept my rents very reasonable for the eight years that I've been there. They only raised the rent once in that time. Um, so I never applied for HAP, never put myself on any housing list or anything like that because I was able to afford where I was living. I'm a self-employed single parent. So I work in the arts primarily. So my income can be sporadic, but I've been managing for the last eight years. Um, but a year ago, they told me that they were struggling with maintaining the house. They're, you know, they've got some health issues. They're, they're aging and they're primarily in Portugal living. So they just feel like they can't manage it. So, you know, they're not selling up, um, and trying to cash in or anything like that, though they do admit that this is the right time to sell because of the, the, the price of the housing. So I have lost count of the amount of properties that I've tried to view. Um, most of them haven't responded even to uh, request to view places. Many times I've been asked to prove that I can afford the property before I'll even be able to view it. I don't look good on paper being um, single and self-employed, uh, you know, being a single parent and being self-employed. So over the last year, I've only managed to view two properties. One of them was 2,400 euros. It was being advertised as a four bedroom place. It was essentially two single rooms and two box rooms. And they were unwilling to allow me to rent the other rooms out. So they were expecting me to try to find 2,400 euros a month by myself. Um, and the other place that I managed to view was 1600. And the only reason I got to view it was because friends were moving out and they begged the landlord to let me see it because I'd been looking for so long. Um, and I was at the point of going, yes, I, I, I will, I will do this. I'll commit to 1600, but another family, um, were in an even worse situation than me. They were facing eviction within a few weeks. 
So he decided quite rightly to give it to them. But it feels like we're in Hunger Games. You know, it's crazy. I'm, you know, I'm involved in my elderly father's care who lives just up the road from me. He's got mental health issues. You know, we're wondering, do we move into the house with him, which is completely inappropriate um, for myself and my 15 year old son. I feel like I'm at that point of the, the shame that's out there. You know, for a start, everyone assumes that I'm I'm on the housing list and I'm on HAP and all of that, which is which that, that assumption is fine. But when I've gone to the council to try to get help, I've been met with so many difficulties I, I i brought my application in last august in last december and it's still they still haven't begun to process it they keep coming back to me and asking me again and again for audited accounts um and things that i don't have and i can't i can't really get even though that's not a requirement for revenue for me to have audited accounts um so my landlord in the last week has said they're not going to put me out in the street so they still want me to keep looking for somewhere, but they've said that until I find secure accommodation, they're not actually going to evict me. But the last nine months has been hell. My mental health has been in the toilet. Um, I got to the point that I was really struggling to actually uh, do. So I, I got to the point that I had to turn down work because my mental health was so bad which then meant obviously I'm earning less. So I'm just in this cycle of terror and it's just so unstable. And I have bought three houses in my lifetime. I'm 45 years old in other countries. I have had the means and the ability um, to do that. And I feel like, uh, you know, to, to not be able to do that in my own country and to do it comfortably at my age, you know, I'm getting to the point where even if I was able to get a mortgage, um, my age is going to preclude me. So, you know, I'm facing the sensibility for the rest of my life and it's horrendous. Somebody who's able to self-support, who doesn't need, you know, to, to get, um, financial support from the government on paper in terms of what I'm, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't afford the houses that aren't there, even if they were there, you know? Yeah. So I'm unconscious of the time, but yeah, I, you know, and it's, it's really, it's disgusting that we're at this point. I lived in Kenya for a long time and I heard arguments over and over again from hotel owners about why they couldn't raise, give people living wages, you know, because tourists wouldn't come because there wouldn't be enough. And it feels like we're at that point that it's about, it's about the rich. It's about the landlords. It's about commodifying an essential need that everybody should have. And it's, it's totally wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of that is at the root of it. Thank you for sharing that, Joanne. That's an awful story that I think resonates with a lot of people. There's just the desperation of trying to find a house. Um, and lots of people in the chat are expressing solidarity with you. Um, and also, um, Catherine, I think you are willing to share. Um, and yeah. once again, thank you for sharing such personal stories because it, it is really tough, but it, I think it's really important because once again, like these things can't be caught up in policy. It's because it's about people. So, have to go, Catherine. Absolutely, and fair play to you, Joanne. It's um, it's um, really hard to hear what you're going through, but um, keep going. It, yeah, want to get 
that are hopefully. Um, my situation isn't half as dire. I mean, I'm in a rental situation, but I'm I'm like just looking after myself. So it's a whole different story. But I am changing house at the moment. Um, so just in terms of the precarity of it, I left. I finished studying in 2012. I think I finished my master's, and at that stage, it was kind of um, I suppose it was economic downturn so I headed away for a few reasons just um working abroad um I was in a few places in Spain for about seven years and I came back in 2020 and kind of had saved a bit of a deposit was hoping after a couple of years that I'd be able to buy um for myself but quickly realized when I got home I was telling Rory on his podcast about how it just um as a single person it just wasn't going to happen getting a deposit and um getting all of that together so I'm going from I'm currently going from a six bedroom house to um, a two bedroom house um, this month I have had lovely landlords uh, the last landlord I had here in Fervo and the one I'm going to have been amazing but I just and I asked my friend if I could tell the story um, about back in 2000 and I'm going to say 2004 we lived in a house um, I was 19 she um, was my housemate she got pregnant unexpectedly and after a couple of months the landlord spotted it and within a month he had given us notice to um, to leave the house that he was going to be selling so I managed I was um, just looking after myself so I managed to find a room and my friend went to our friend's house where she slept in our friend's bed and our friend slept on the couch but I suppose the reason I explain and that is just because um, I've spoke before about like the difference between Ireland and other countries in terms of rights of um, landlords versus tenants. And you were talking about there, Rory, um, about the different, um, you know, the rights depending on what situation you're in. Um, so it's just it's been going on for a long time. Um, and thankfully, there's been people speaking about it for a long time, but it's just we're getting to a point where like it's just it's. It's affecting us all across the board and it's just the precarity of it is absolutely mad um, for those with and without means and there's an awful lot of people just in dire straits and we can hear from Joanne as well. Um, I'm not in that situation but it's just, it, there's no um, there's no comfort in any of it. Um, so I suppose that's just what I wanted to share. So um, yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you, Catherine. And it, it is, I think everyone feels that even even people who aren't currently looking for a home, you feel that kind of, yeah, the unsurety of it, because it is, it's a, it's an awful way to live, like the stress of it. Um, so I'm conscious of the time, so I'm going to keep cracking on. Um, and Aoife, I'm going to invite Aoife to speak a bit about Thela Housing, which I think the, the future of the housing movement is in things like this. Um, but Aoife, off you go. Hi everyone and John thanks so many and Catherine for sharing your stories but I really like I actually tears my eyes listening to Joanne because like this is the reality this is what's happening and a lot of people don't have the courage or feel comfortable to speak about it because there is that that idea of the shame around it and there should be no shame because we're in a situation right now that it's like even you know even if I just looked up there on DAF. There's only 31 places to rent in Galway City at the moment. And you go on Airbnb and there's hundreds. So there is a total imbalance going on here. And it's not that people aren't trying hard enough. 
or aren't making the right decisions or doing the right things. It's we've come to a point where, you know, you have to know somebody in order to, to nearly find somewhere to live now. You have to know somebody through somebody else and just get lucky, you know, or, you know, you're lucky that you can live with your parents in your 30s or 40s because maybe they don't have, um, you know, the, the, the needs that, that Joanne's father is going through. Like, it's insane. Like, I've considered and I'm still considering leaving Ireland. You know, I I cannot understand how such a basic need has been robbed from us because it is, it is you know, decisions that have been made um, over the past 10 to 20 years, policies that have been followed and, and pursued by subsequent governments. And I just want to make that really, really clear. Um, so Vela Housing is, um, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm so, I'm still shook by that story. I just can't, it just cannot go on. Like we can't continue like this as a country. Like it's such a basic need that everybody needs met. If you don't have that basic foundation of somewhere to go home to and close the door and know that you don't have to leave tomorrow or the next week, what do you have? Like, what's the point? You know, like it's, it's the most basic need. So I suppose Vela Housing came out of the the frustration and the need for to come together and and bring people together who feel strongly about the housing emergency to take positive action. So um, what we had was a group of musicians, artists, people in the community who care about the housing emergency and who want to do something about it in a positive way. So our first event was on March 11th and 12th in Galway City, and it was extremely successful. Um, we had some wonderful events. We had um, Rory actually give a pre-festival event, which was was fantastic. And then we had a panel discussion of housing experts who unanimously agreed that it is policy, policies that have been pursued um, and have been put in place that have led us to this this emergency. So it's it's not accidental. You know, choices have been made and we've ended up relying too heavily on the private market. Um, and it just doesn't work like that. Um, you look at countries of best practice, they they don't have that situation. You cannot rely on the private market to for that basic need of housing to be met for everybody across society. So um along with that event we had community music circles, we had art exhibitions all around the theme of putting the heart back into home. And I think that's what this this town hall meeting is doing right now when you're listening to people sharing their stories. It's it's looking at reimagining and reawakening and remembering what does home mean? Like what is a home for? It's not an investment. It's not for concrete walls that that to store money in. It's it's people's home. It's somewhere where they live, not just shelter. It's somewhere you somewhere you go home to, to come home to yourself after the day, um, and it's essential to the well-being and the mental health of our country that everybody has a place to call home. So through that festival, we were able to give people the opportunity to to have the courage to share their stories. Like people came to me and told me their stories before, during, and after, and it would not have happened if we hadn't created this safe space, and. Um, and leading on from that festival, we were approached by some musicians in County Clare in Ennis, and they want to use the format of Vela Housing to create their own Vela event, which is happening um, on the 22nd of April, Saturday, the 22nd of April. And so we're able to kind of 
support them by sharing the format of the festival with them, giving them advice and support as they're setting it up, helping them source, you know, different speakers and musicians. But essentially they're, they're running it themselves and we're supporting them. So the idea is that through Fela Housing events, you know, we can connect as a community and empower ourselves because one voice on its own, it's, it's not going to be effective enough. We need to come together. And like you've suggested, Sirsha, at the end, if we can all collectively email our TDs at the end of this, it's it's not just one message that they're getting. They're getting whatever it is, 40, 50 messages altogether. So Fela Housing is about putting the heart back into home and it's about connecting and empowering people to share their stories, to use their voices and to take positive action. So, um, you know, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. It's Fela Housing 2023. And we also have an email that people can sign up to and we we can let them know when there's events like this happening across the country, if there are upcoming protests, if there are upcoming fail events. Um, because I think it's come to a stage where it does have to kind of be from the grassroots because the top, top level just is so detached because so many TDs and councillors are landlords, you know, and it's it's not in their interest to solve this crisis or to treat it as an emergency. Um, and just one point, like I, I just find it really, it, it's quite, it's quite a moment in time where the TDs aren't here because they're at the doll, you know, at, well, they were, it finished at, at 6.30. So that was just an excuse to listen to, you know, a president whose family had to emigrate, you know, um, in order to, to make a life for themselves. And now you have the same situation where actually we have economic we more than economic stability. We're in the top five wealthiest countries in the EU, but we can't, we're not providing people with the fair opportunity to rent, to share or to own their own property. So, you know, the clearing out of homeless people in Phoenix Park for the visit of a president, it just, it says it all, you know, where the priority of this government is. And I just hope that people will, will, will feel hopeful and realize that we are stronger together and to get involved in, in upcoming fail events. And if you want to set up your own event, you know, reach out to us and we can help to, to support you in, in doing that.